Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to the interview series, The Business of Business. I'm your host, Dustin Dubé, and this is Finance Fundamentals, the show where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. This is the interview series, The Business of Business, where I interview unique industry experts and business owners to motivate, educate, and help you to chase your craft. This is the wedding series. It is incredibly important to choose vendors you like and companies that you resonate with when you are planning your wedding. This is episode four of the wedding series. Today I have Carolyn Stroud and Carolyn is based out of Atlanta. She is a live wedding painter. If you have not seen this, it is incredibly impressive that I actually contacted her and she did a live painting at my wedding. This is my gift to my now wife. I really recommend you check out her website. I will leave all of her links in the description. Look at her TikTok or Instagram. It is incredibly impressive. She also has a great studio in Atlanta if you're in the market for some fine art. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me again on Finance Fundamentals. Today, I have Carolyn Stroud, and Carolyn is based out of Atlanta. She is actually a vendor that I will be using at my wedding. Little does my bride-to-be know. And so I'm very excited to, to have you on. Thank you for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. Excited. Very excited. Absolutely. So we first communicated, it was uh, 2020, but a little over a year ago, we did have to postpone our wedding and you were very gracious about that. And I, I thank you very much for that. Obviously, we're still working together. I do, before we get into the nuances of what the business is and you know, what you do. Uh, let's talk about your your backstory. So did you grow up in an artistic household? How did you get into this trade? And then I took a look at your LinkedIn. You weren't an artist right away. So, so <laughs> no, that's, no. You definitely, you, you veered off the, the passion path. So let's talk a yes. little bit about that as well. For sure. So I'm originally from Macon, Georgia, which is about an hour south of Atlanta. But both my parents are accountants, actually, CPAs. And so me being an artist was probably the last thing they expected their child to end up doing full time. But really, I mean, my mom was showing me photos of like career day in elementary school and where I literally dressed up as an artist. So I've always been inclined to drawing, painting, creating, whatever. But even from a young age, I like wanted to do it full time, like as a career. But yeah, so in college, I was a business major, actually. At UGA, I went to the University of Georgia from 2014 to 2018, was a business major and was going to be graduating a semester early and because of AP classes. So I was like, I actually don't want to go into the real world earlier than I have to. So I added a studio art minor that made me get back on the four-year track instead of three and a half years. So added that in my junior year. And then, I mean, I, I was still was doing like all mainly business classes, but kind of had the idea of pursuing art as a career in the back of my mind with an art of the studio art minor. But for wedding paintings, like it really started also my junior year of college. My cousin was getting married in Charleston in 2017. So I volunteered to do a wedding painting for free for her. 
just to kind of try it out. Cause I was looking at jobs and internships like that summer and I wasn't really seeing anything that I loved or was fitting into. So I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to make something that I like, like I'm just going to make it happen, which is kind of the mindset you have to have when you want to start your business. Like that is the overall mindset, but that was me kind of dipping my toe in the water of seeing if I could actually do it, which I didn't go full time right out of college, but I definitely was doing a lot of steps beforehand, like three years before I actually did go full time. But that's a very brief overview of. Perfect. So you went into the corporate world for a little bit for just to, to kind of dip your toes into a traditional career. Is that, was that, were you kind of nervous to take this head on right away? Yes. So, I mean, it was definitely at the encouragement and advice of my parents to get a corporate job, which I kind of felt like I took it at the time as them like not believing in me, but really I was just being dramatic, but it was the wisest thing I could have done because one, it made me see, like if I had just gone straight into art and like it wasn't working out, I would always in the back of my mind be like, oh, like was the corporate world for me? Like, was that the route I should have gone? So like it was a good that I like experienced it for a year, realized (laughs) that it was not for me. So I could like never have that thought in the back of my mind. And then B, I actually worked kind of, I, I was like a revenue specialist. So I did a lot of like invoicing, customer, client, relations, which is, it was such transferable business skills into my art business. So that was the second reason. And then third was just, I think if I had gone straight into art, there would have been so much financial pressure. I liked getting a paycheck every week, every two weeks, whatever, and being able to create without the financial burden, like in the back of my mind, amount of money for rent and groceries and food. Like I'm just going to paint whatever I think people would buy and not what I actually wanted to. So Mm. there were a ton of pros to working a corporate job and not going full-time art at the very beginning. Yeah. And I actually, I think that having the business degree going into the business world for for a short bit definitely gives you some perspective as well because yeah. I I know a lot of people that go and chase their passions which first off good on you like that is awesome but yeah. when you chase your passion sometimes you don't think about the fact that it is a business right and you oh, have yeah. you have finances you have you got to keep your books you have to get a lawyer if you're going to become in, you know incorporated and contracts and exactly yeah. and if you lease an office studio and there's a lot of yeah. different things that you probably don't think about in the beginning. So having that background probably made you think more clearly, if you will, when you got to the point of opening your studio and ultimately starting your business. Oh, for sure. And there's also so many intangibles from working in an office, corporate office setting and getting a business degree that transfer over as well. And which I didn't really realize until I dealt with pure artists who don't really have email or communication skills, which doesn't matter how amazing you are at painting or whatever. If you don't have communication skills and building a relationship with the client, then I just think that's about just as important as your actual talent or skill. If you're actually actually trying to run a business. Absolutely. I think the interpersonal skills and just like you say, responding to emails professionally and different things that you kind of pick up when you're in that office environment very quickly. Doesn't matter what your role is, you're going to pick those skills up. So yeah, I can see that being very helpful as well. So let's talk a little bit about the business. So you've got kind of two major streams of revenue from what I can see. 
Number one being that you have a studio and you do sell art, you sell prints and you do private work. Number two, what I originally contacted you for was private wedding paintings where you do live portraits at the actual venue, which for anyone that has not seen is absolutely amazing, by the way. And I first found out about this. So I say I I heard about it in 2020. And somebody okay. sent somebody sent me a TikTok. I was like, oh, wow. That's... I was going to ask how you actually found me. So that's uh, yeah. somebody sent me a TikTok, I think. And I I saw it and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Lo and behold, you're based out of Atlanta. I was like, oh, that's not that far. So I, yeah. I contacted you. And I afterwards was starting to look around and it's sort of a niche industry. There are a handful in the Southeast and across the East Coast, but it's definitely not something that you find often. So it is a pretty cool party pleaser as well. So I'm pretty excited about it. But you said you did it for your cousin. What gave you the confidence to to kind of jump in and say, look, I'm going to start doing this all the time? Yeah. So the first one I did for my cousin, which was free, it was a wedding gift to her. That was in 2017. So like my entire process style timeline of the day is so, I mean, it's evolved, but it's just so different from then what it was then, but I'll just explain how it was. So basically I had seen a few other artists that I followed on Instagram doing wedding paintings. And I was like, what a great thing to, and it, it wasn't super popular at the time. I mean, it's still just now kind of catching on. So I was like, I want to get in on this early, even though I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'll be good at it, but also it's great to try out on family first. And if it doesn't turn out well, at least I tried. But the, the main thing was I knew I was a fast painter and I, I always had been, even in high school and college classes, I was just very quick. So that was kind of the first thing that popped in my mind. I was like, oh, like I can paint fast. I should try this. So I, yeah, I just volunteered my services to her. And since it was my cousin's wedding, I did kind of want to be a little bit more present for it. Whereas other weddings now that I'm more so working at, I'm just at the canvas the entire time painting from like the time I get there until the end of the reception. So it was a little bit different this first wedding because I painted a little bit beforehand onto the canvas. Whereas now I just, I open it when I get there, start on site. And then I also was like sitting down at dinner because I was sitting there with my family. So I obviously want to take in the wedding of my really close cousin, but also try out this unique idea. But yeah, so it, I mean, it really worked out, but I also was like, there's a lot of kinks that I need to work out. And <laughs> I don't know who's going to, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to promote myself because I just have this one painting, which like, it was okay. But also I started earlier. I barely got anything done during the actual event and I had to finish it after. So I was like, this is going to be kind of hard to sell to like a non-family member. But actually my, was like my mom's college roommate's daughter. So it was another like close family member, which I mean, everyone's businesses usually start with the close family and friends, yep. which they kind of just are doing it as a favor when you're not that great as you're building it up. But yeah, so that first wedding was in 2017. And I don't think I did my, that family friend's wedding until like eight or nine months later. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about the wedding industry is just, it takes a year to, to book or like to plan out. So I mean, it definitely took a year to a year and a half to convince people that I was capable of doing this and like could actually produce good work that they would want to pay for. So the first one was free. The second one was, I mean, I think I just charged for the travel fee, maybe like, I don't even know if I charged like an actual fee for the painting. And then the third and fourth and fifth one were all still family friends. And then I just continually promoted those three to four paintings. 
so much and made it seem like, I mean, I was definitely faking it till I made it. Like wasn't, <laughs> wasn't lying by any means, but definitely gave off the persona that I knew exactly what I was doing. But it was, I mean, and there wasn't like, I did know what I was doing, but it was, I learned a lot every single time I did a new wedding, just from what time to get there, the timeline of the day, how to communicate with the other vendors, the photographers, how to get the best angle for the painting. There's just things you wouldn't really think of because I didn't really have like a blueprint to look up to. Like this is a very new thing. So I was kind of just figuring it out as I went. But yeah, so I would say, I I think I had about three live paintings in 2018 and then about 30 in 2019. And this year, or I'm sorry, for 2020, I had about 40. And this year I'm going to have like 45 to 50. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, just really for wedding vendors, and I'm sure you can, you'll know this as an actual consumer who was once looking for vendors references and the body of work, like that is probably the most important thing. So, I mean, as I continually build up references and reviews and showing my work, it gets easier booking. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, there are a lot of these different sites where you can kind of see reviews and a lot of people, when they're happy about their wedding, they're they don't shut up about it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. you're going to see a lot of your work out there pretty often and people post about it regularly. And that gets a little bit of a buzz as well. When it came to the point where you said 2019, you said you had about, was it 30 or so? Yeah, I was a 25 to 30. Okay. So at that point, you're, you're picking up some serious steam. You're getting some pretty consistent work most weekends, I, I'm assuming. There are a couple other competitors out there. How did you figure out how to charge? You know, did you do some analysis, get some some ideas of what other people are charging and see where you fit in the market? Oh yeah. So I there were a few people, honestly, most people don't have their prices just out on their site. I mean, I don't, and not even in a I I just I do that because I want to gauge how many people are interested. It's not even like I don't want other people to see my prices. Like if another person or another artist emailed me, I would tell them my prices. But yeah, so I did have like maybe one or two pricing sheets from that I just found from, and it was one person in Georgia, but then the other ones, like one was in California, one was in another state. So like, I didn't honestly know how comparable the prices would be. So I kind of used that, but also I had to keep in mind that also those people were in different states, but were much more advanced in their career and much more established. They were in galleries. So like, and that's the thing, like, I think a lot of the live painters also paint in their studio and have separate work. So I think like if they're more established in the art world and galleries, like that obviously ups their cred in the live wedding painting industry. So like those work hand in hand and those people have been established for a while. So I'm a very like realistic person and I wasn't out there trying to charge $1,500, $2,000 my first year. I think I was charging, I think my first like five to six, seven weddings was like $500. Then I would just, continue, I would go up to like 800, 1,000, 1,200. And honestly, I was just doing it based on supply and demand. Yep. If I was sending prices to people, if I sent a like a $1,200 price to two people and they didn't respond, I'd go back to 900. If I booked that, I'd be like, okay, let's keep it at 900. And it's just, I mean, that's still how it is. It's a constant give and take. And also I'm now that I'm booking more, it's okay. How much am I willing to give up this weekend? Like, what is the price? What is my time? Like, well, how am I going to price my time when I'm painting every single weekend? And how am I going to price Friday and Sunday weddings as opposed to Saturday? So I would say pricing, it was, yes, I kind of took 
a bit of a cue from other artists, but there's so many, each person's service is so unique to themselves and their style and like kind of hard to base your prices off someone else. I mean, it's definitely good to have a reference, but I didn't use it that much. I kind of just did the give and take of seeing if people were booking at the prices. Yeah. And I guess it's it's kind of like anything, right? If you start a business, yeah. you're not going to charge your max price on day one because... <laughs> You don't have any, like you said, you don't have any cred. So yeah. as as you've now developed a little bit of a portfolio of work and you are, like you said, valuing your time, you have over 40 weddings. There's only 52 weeks a year, you know, so it is a lot of time that you have to sacrifice. And so that is also something you, you have to take into consideration. Definitely. When yeah. it came to opening up your art studio, let's talk a little bit about that. So that's a, that's a whole other level of I'm an artist. Now I'm an artist with a studio. There's a big difference. Yeah. And so once you take it to that level, you are committing to this and, and having art on the walls. You have people that are going to contact you. You also have probably some foot traffic. Let's talk about that process. Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to say too, when I was deciding kind of when I wanted to quit my corporate job, I decided for myself, I was like, okay, two things. When I find an affordable studio close to me that I can paint at full time. And when I book X amount of weddings for this upcoming year, then I will put in my two weeks for my job. So finding the studio is I, like, it was surprisingly hard to find in Atlanta, which you would think there would be so many, but I ended up finding this gem of a place. It's actually a converted warehouse with a bunch of shared studios that have open ceilings. It's really cool. It's, I would say about 30 different creatives. They're not all artists. Some are jewelry designers, some make sculptures, some make installations. So it's all different types of creative work. And then there's a band room where bands come and practice. So it's a very, very, yeah, it's cool. It's a very creative space. And I've really gotten to know the owners and it's just a really great space. But yeah, jumping from painting in your kitchen or your dining room, or whatever, to an actual dedicated space, that was huge, almost more so mentally. I'm going to act like I'm going to the studio, like it's my nine to five job, which yeah. I did, which I don't do as much now, but for the first year, I truly treated it like I'm going to be here for at least eight to nine hours a day. I've just been in school my whole life and been in all these other structured things. So like I need to instill so much structure. And that was honestly the biggest thing for me. The first year getting started was just establishing a morning routine, establishing what time I would get to the studio, establishing what time I do emails, like bring out the entire day, week, and even like planning and forecasting for the year. Like that was the most important thing, even more so than having a studio space. But the studio space was definitely, it was a, a mental shift into like, okay, this is serious. Like I'm going to start taking myself seriously. And so when it comes to your typical customers, obviously your life wedding painting, that's a, a bit of a different customer. But with folks that are walking into your studio, is it primarily people looking for something in particular or is it just curious art connoisseurs that happen to walk in? Yeah. So I think my studio is a bit different than it, it is confusing. Our studios aren't necessarily like walk-ins, whereas some 
some are, some studios have open hours where people walk in. Ours really isn't super walk-in. I just use it more as a space to create and also store all my supplies and paintings. But I would say I do, I do have work at a gallery in Charleston and I'm trying to get gallery representation in Atlanta, which that is definitely way more of the foot traffic and seeing that way. So yeah, the studio isn't really like, I mean, it's open for the public if people do want to come in, but it's kind of off the beaten path. It's not in the super like touristy area, which honestly, like, I don't know how many people actually walk into a a studio and just buy like thousands of dollars of art. Like maybe some people do, but I haven't felt like I've missed out a lot on not having a lot of foot traffic. I, I think that sometimes <laughs> I, I so maybe in Charleston, like you say, in a market where people are on vacation yeah. possibly, but yeah. And Charleston is such an artsy city. I feel like people go have a cocktail and then like walk <laughs> the, the main street and buy like a $2,000 fine art piece, which that kind of I could see that happening a lot more than it happening in uh, Avondale States where my studio is, where yeah. there's like production areas. Or- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, I gotcha. So let's talk about your business model. When you decided to open up your business, did you incorporate? Did you contact a lawyer? Did you become an LLC? How did you decide what type of business model you wanted to be? Yeah. So I'm a sole proprietor, which I, at the time was like for the first year, just kind of do like the easiest, the least resistance, basically just to kind of get it off the ground and get going. But also just talking with other artists, they're also sole proprietors, even very established ones. So as of now, I, that's my plan just to keep the sole proprietor label for as long as it works for me. But I mean, if I do end up hiring an assistant down the road, getting more products in place, I could definitely see myself going that route. But just for right now, the sole proprietorship has worked for me. And I did not hire a lawyer. I I do have family that's in law. So I was lucky with that. So I was able to kind of consult with them. But yeah, business-wise, that's worked for me. But I'm also just a one woman show in my studio painting and then also at these weddings one woman show no i think that makes a lot of sense and obviously I, if you have a lawyer in the family that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, got, I, I kind of slid that in there i was like yeah and i'm kind of lucky in the fact that i can just take, freely text <laughs> take full advantage my my dad's a cpa yeah. so he does all my taxes so definitely oh, yeah. take advantage of that so let's talk a little bit about the COVID impacts on the wedding industry. Obviously, I don't know the exact statistics, but a ton of people postponed weddings, canceled weddings, had to elope and do small ceremonies with just immediate family. And we've come a long way since then. Things are definitely, I wouldn't say 100% back, but we're getting pretty close. What, What about that one year span? Did that have a lot of impact on you specifically? Yes and no. My mindset the first month that started was just totally different than like, say even like June and July of 2020. I'll explain like the first month when all just everything broke loose. I had probably eight postponed, which that was the great thing. I only had two canceled because of scheduling conflicts, which they're like their future date. I already had a wedding. So two canceled, but I was able to get rescheduled eight to nine of the weddings, which like, yes, I mean, the payment was deferred until later, but also like I was, I I didn't care. Like it was fine with me. It was a bit stressful because I remember I was getting emails. I remember, I think I had like four or five people cancel a wedding in like the span of an hour of one day. And I was just like, oh my God, at the time in the heat of things, like I was like, this is going to last the whole year. Like, do I need to get another job? I'm a fine art and event painter. Like I can't think of a worse thing (laughs) to be during COVID. But on the flip side, 
I actually ended up selling more fine art during it because people, I mean, it was kind of like how everyone's been hitting up Home Depot and Lowe's for home renovations. Like everyone decided to redo that bedroom they've been trying to do for a while. So I was actually selling more fine art in May, June, July when I was doing releases than I was the previous year. I don't know if that was attributed to me just making better art <laughs> two years into it, or if it actually was because people were at home, they wanted to decorate, they had time to do it. But yeah, the fine art surprisingly did as good or better than the year prior. And then the live wedding paintings for about a month, I didn't have any, but my first in-person one back was mid-May. Yeah. With, I mean, a hundred people, May of 2020, which I don't, I didn't really promote my live events, May, June, July, but they were happening. And I was just, I mean, everyone was being safe mass social distance everything but there's a there were a lot of couples that were just like we can't afford honestly they couldn't afford to postpone yeah. it it wasn't even like they were trying to be difficult people they were like and i'm sure you know from all the postponements how expensive it gets i mean i, I tried to be as accommodating as possible to everyone because i had friends of my own going through the same thing and they were just telling me how impossible some of the vendors were and how they weren't giving deposits back and everything which I was giving deposits back. I was trying to work around everyone's schedule as much as possible. But I would say it kind of just was put on pause for a month. And then everything else got pushed back to September and October. But I was pretty much back to normal by end of May, which I'm so thankful for. Yeah. Luckily for us, we were, most of our vendors were actually really awesome and Good. postponed, no problem. We did have some we had to work with and you lose a little bit here and there, but nothing compared to what some of my friends that were getting married last year had to deal with. And some of them just had to postpone everything and lose all the money or just go forward with a very small event and <laughs> try to salvage what they could have. I was like very torn on my opinions on how the vendors were handling it because wedding paintings aren't my 100% sole income. So I kind of was like, okay, I can't for a photographer, for example, or a caterer, if that is their 100% income were these weddings. Like, I guess I understand how it was harder for them to give these deposits back because that's their entire livelihood. But also I just feel like you would get not good reviews from lots of couples. And I feel like that would hurt you way more in the long run than just kind of biting the bullet for a month or two. Yeah. But then again, it wasn't my sole income. So that's pretty easy for me to say, and I don't have a family to provide for. So I don't know. Yeah. I obviously I can't speak for everyone, but it is short-sighted when you think about, I need the money today, because there was a lot of government assistance that came out later in the year. When I say later in the year, it really was pretty quick. And also, those bad reviews do live on. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of, a, you could have a flawless five-star reputation, and you just get a handful of bad reviews during this one period of time that could damage your reputation possibly indefinitely. Oh, for sure. And this, my generation, your genera generation below, we base our opinion on other people's reviews. So I put reviews and pleasing the client as like my number one priority. Like I would do anything. So, but that's just my mindset. And I've thankfully haven't gotten a bad review, but like you kind of need to be a people pleaser when you're a vendor for a wedding. So oh, absolutely. that was just my take. No, that makes sense. And, and it's funny, you said the fine art purchases went up 
this year with your business. I actually read something the other day that said that due to the amount of people buying homes in the past year, they figure, well, if I'm spending half a million dollars on a house, <laughs> if might I might as well go the extra yeah. 10 yards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, they end up spending more to furnish and decorate. So yeah. that that's probably where that falls in. Plus everyone was home, maybe had a little extra disposable income and decided to- And they were uh, looking at blank walls for nine months. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Wanted to put something up. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how your business has changed and evolved, as well as how do you market and brand today versus when you first started? Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, I think that the marketing and relationships you have with people are just as or more important than the actual art you make or the skill you have in making art, which I realized about a year into it. So I actually have a social media agency that I have hired. So I actually hired that. It's a group of two women. Mm -hmm. They are, I actually found them because there's a group in Atlanta called ATL Girl Gang. And it's a entrepreneur and basically just a, a group of women in Atlanta. I mean, they have like probably 40,000 followers on Instagram, but they do like in-person events, networking events, workshops to get your business running, social media taxes, all that kind of stuff. It's called ATL Girl Gang. And the owner, Morgan, she has her sister business is called Mo Social. And it's just pretty much like a boutique social media agency. They work with lifestyle brands and home decor. I hired the social media agency, Most Social, in May of 2020, which that was a huge leap for me financially. And just like, I really wanted to invest into myself and this business. And it has more than paid off, in my opinion. So basically they... We do one photo shoot a month. They are in charge of my Instagram account. They answer all the DMs, do one to two stories, curated branded stories on my Instagram a week, and then three posts a week. And they do all the captions, everything, which I had just, I mean, I, I listened to so many podcasts about starting your business, whatever. And it was outsourcing what you don't like slash are not good at. And that is promoting myself. It's not even social media. It's I am the brand. I'm the business. Whereas if I was just promoting a product, I could shamelessly plug it all the time and not feel weird about it at all. But like me coming on and being like, hello, like I am the product, like hire me. Like it just felt not slimy, but I just, that's just not me to sit there and talk about myself and promote myself. So even though my page is obviously still promoting myself, I wanted someone else to do it. I wanted someone else to write the captions. I wanted someone else to, I don't know, just, I did not want to be in charge of promoting myself. And they're so great in the fact they're business owners themselves. Like they're female Atlanta business owners. So just bouncing ideas off of them constantly and getting their advice on certain things. That's just been so helpful in itself. And they just having the timeline of doing a photo shoot once a month, having to have three posts in a week, like it really forces me to produce work to really stay on top of things. So it's served so many purposes besides just a post on social media. So that was very scary at first, but has been like, I don't think I could run my business without them now or without someone like them, but they're great. So definitely them. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, first off, I love that 
you were working with a female founded organization. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately enough, women do not support one another. I had somebody on recently that was talking about that. Working with the social media groups and everything, that's, that's a huge avenue of getting your message out. They know what works. They know how to use the hashtags and the appropriate information, which I'm finding all of that out on my own right now, trying to <laughs> promote the podcast. But it is, it's a whole yeah. other world business and branding and marketing that that's not not your bread and butter. So hiring the consultants to, to do that for you is, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Do they have some pretty attractive pricing packages? Did you go with them because you liked their products or did you price it out with anyone else? Honestly, I, I think, I think the monthly cost is about 1100, but I, which I totally think is worth it. I mean, if they even just book me one more wedding a month, that pays for itself. So it's like, yeah, why? That's a no brainer. But there were many reasons why I ended up going with them. But I think the biggest one was A, that they were female owned in Atlanta. So, and we're about the same age, I think a year or two different. So we could just really relate on so many levels. But then also ATL Girl Gang, it's just such a great community of other female business owners, wedding vendors, wedding aged people. I mean, the main age group of their members are 22 to like 35, I would say. So it's like my exact target audience in there. They do crossover promote on the ATL Girl Gang page as well, which that wasn't the only reason, but that was obviously a plus. And just to have Morgan as a connection to so many other people. And she's so great about always doing whatever she can for her social media clients. Cause I think they have probably like 12 to 15 clients. But yeah, so looking back, I was so nervous about it. And just because it was the first big financial commitment I had made besides my studio. But I mean, looking back, it was the best decision I've made thus far because I'm, I'm a micromanager and that was just letting go of things. And so, yeah, that, that was the best thing I could have done. Obviously, they have a system that works. It's flawless. You don't have to think about it. That is yes. worth every penny. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the the clientele that you work with. So obviously it's probably changed a little bit in the last couple of years as you've grown and everything and as you've kind of scaled. But yeah. where have you painted? Probably mostly in the Southeast, but have you gone anywhere that was a little out of maybe what you expected? Yes. So the out-of-state weddings that I book have usually been either from TikTok or Etsy listings, which are obviously more nationwide. So I did a painting in Shreveport, Louisiana. I have asked for a better first out-of-state wedding that I had to fly to. Just the the family was great. They uh, were so sweet and accommodating, but I didn't really think about it, but there's a lot of restrictions on flying with paints <laughs> and just logistically I had to ship. I ordered paint, all of my supplies to the hotel, flew with nothing. And then honestly just threw away the paint ways to get around it, like check bags and everything. But it was my first one. And again, I learned something new every single wedding I do, especially for this first out of state wedding that I was flying for. But honestly, so that was the first one I flew to. I do have a few South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee. I have one in Kentucky this fall, but I have started scaling back into Georgia now that A, wedding paintings are becoming more popular and B, I am becoming more established. The less I have to travel, I mean, the better. Like I obviously want to go to all these great places, but if I can charge a certain amount and only travel 10 minutes down the road, that's, I mean, that would be what any vendor would want to do. So I have started scaling back the radius back into Georgia and Atlanta. And I think when I was first starting, I kind of glamorized the like, 
oh, getting all these out-of-state weddings like makes you just getting all this clout almost, which it doesn't. It's it's a lot of flights and the long driving. So, which they're so fun. I've, I've had the best memories and the best weekends doing it, but I think I definitely glamorized the traveling aspect of it. So yeah, definitely keeping it in Georgia slash surroundings, Southeast states. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about some cool projects that you've done. So I saw, I took a look at your Instagram, obviously, before I, before I even booked you, I did my homework. I was taking a look at some of the cool projects you've done and I saw that you did some really cool stuff in Atlanta. So you want to spread some? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I've randomly gotten these jobs, but I have done a good amount of sports related painting. So, and that, I don't know if you're familiar with SEC football, NFL players at all. But I was actually somewhat friends with Sony Michelle in college. No kidding. He was the running back for Georgia. Yeah. So I just to pay for bills and my sorority dues in college, I would do little UGA paintings and dog portraits. Just I mean, they weren't I wouldn't say they weren't that great, but I would always tag the players when I posted them on my Instagram story. And so I'd done a painting of a few football players for someone who had commissioned it and tagged Sony and he responded and he was like oh yeah like I'm gonna need you to do a painting for me and I was like oh my god like that was looking back like that was truly like a turning point for me because I had never done any huge commission project like that for, and he wanted the Rose Bowl touchdown which I don't know if you saw the Rose Bowl game against UJ in Oklahoma that year but it was incredible so he wanted this like crazy overtime touchdown play scene whatever on a six-foot canvas and I was just like oh my god like I'm only doing like art school homework. Like I've never gotten something this big. So that was huge. And I kept the relationship with him and was able to do last year, his Super Bowl touchdown for the Patriots. I mean, it still was just like insane. I mean, it was, it didn't feel as weird because I was doing it for kind of like a friend, but I would like step back and think, I'd be like, this is actually like kind of crazy that I'm doing this. But yeah, so that's how I was able to do the football portraits was just tagging him on Instagram, just constantly reaching out and throwing myself out there. But yeah, so then the Braves one, I don't know if you saw Yeah, that's the one I saw, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's a funny story. So I did a wedding painting at one of the big venues here in downtown Atlanta. And I was able to, I get there early, like a couple hours early and always kind of talk with the other vendors, the wedding planner. So I met with the wedding planner. We realized that we had both gone to UGA. We had other few things in common. So we ended up kind of chatting for 20 or so minutes, becoming kind of good friends, honestly, and kept in touch after the wedding. And probably six months later, I get an email from her out of the blue. I had nothing really going on at the time was still just doing wedding paintings, painting at my studio. And so this was fall of 2019. And she was like, such a crazy opportunity. Would you be interested in doing a mural for the Chop Fest Gala for the Braves? Which I don't know if you're familiar, but like it's huge. It's the kickoff event for the Braves. Like all the players go, it's to raise money, but it's also like the kickoff for like the week before they go to spring training. And it's this huge event at the Roxy, which is this event center right beside the stadium. It was another moment where like the Sony thing happened. And it was kind of like a surreal moment where I was, oh my God, how is this happening to me? Like, I, I'm not even really trying to promote myself in these sports worlds. So I am obviously was like, uh, yes, yes. And just was pitching all these, all these ideas because I, in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm competing with all these other people to get this spot. Like I need to go all out. So I pitched the idea of a 12 foot mural, 12 foot wide mural. I think it was like eight foot tall. It would be three 
four foot by eight foot pieces of plywood from Home Depot that were sealed together. And the reason, the reason I could even come up with that is because back in college, a fraternity had done that. And so that's why I even thought of, or I did a painting for a fraternity house and they did it on that plywood. So that's how I had the idea and they wanted it to be interactive for the players and for the guests. So I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to just do like a bunch of iconic scenes of players tiring. Cause I think Brian McCann was tiring uh, that past year. So I did like a black and white uh, scene of Brian McCann and just other scenes from the stadium just throughout 2019, 2018 season. And then I did newspaper clippings kind of bordering the entire mural. So included every single player in some of the clippings and they could go up, kind of look around, read different clippings, relive the moment and sign their name by whichever one McCann gets grand slam wins the game like he'd be like oh my god like what a great memory sign his name by it and then that was auctioned off because i mean it would have hopefully 20 to 30 signatures of the players by the end of the night but yeah that happened in january of 2020 so everything was pre-covid so everything got to happen as planned but i mean it was was such a cool event and like that opened doors in itself too because when i was there Dansby Swanson came up and was like going up to sign it. And I was <laughs> trying to play it, trying to play it cool. But I was like, hi, like trying to act like I didn't know exactly who he was. And he was like, oh, like, do you have a business card? I would love, he's like, I'm really looking to get a painting done for my house. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I was giving out business cards to players. And I mean, I, I followed up with him the next day and he's just the nicest guy ever. And we kind of texted back and forth. And he was going to get me in touch with his interior designer Literally a month later, COVID happened. He was all of MLB halted. He was like, I just need to, I I need to put this on hold for now. So he's actually in the back of my mind. I am planning on reaching back out to him to do a painting, but it was just the craziest way. Yeah. And obviously everyone that's going to listen to this can't see that I'm smiling so much, but this is like. (laughs) Every guy, like I just say like Braves or like Dansby or Sony and they're like (laughs) immediately they don't it. Well, it's just such a cool story. Also, I love the unexpected journey right and right if you were out there spending thousands of dollars promoting yourself and you were posting every 10 minutes and you had 15 burner accounts and then mm-hmm. fine but this was more of like uh you it was out of friendships and relationships and Thanks. that's why i think that's the most important part because it's given me these cool jobs being friends with sony or just some of the athletes and then also trying to make connections or relationships with these wedding planners like that people want to work with people they like which i know that's always said but it's like so true yeah and and the network is super important doesn't really matter what industry you're in here in your industry it's even more important yeah. your your industry is straight up mostly word of mouth unless somebody happens oh, to come yeah. across you on the internet it's it's mostly word of mouth totally and that's i mean going back to wedding paintings I was going to say, I probably book 75% of wedding paintings from people seeing me paint at weddings and then they, their wedding's coming up. And then they book me through talking to me at the wedding, seeing it happen, seeing it happen live action. They're like, okay, this is what I want. People purely just stumbling upon me like you did, which is awesome. Doesn't happen that much, but I, I love that it did happen. Yeah. I I mean, I'm from Maine originally and I don't know anyone in Maine that does this. So (laughs) I know a bunch of my family is going to like lose it when they see this because I think it's so cool. Okay. What about plans going forward? What are your your plans for, I know you said you've got about 40-ish, 45 weddings this year. 
Yeah. Uh, obviously, you've got your studio. Do you intend to change things up a little bit in the future? Maybe try to do more events and kind of scale back? Or is it maybe too early to make that call? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about it. I wouldn't say I have thought about it in depth. I, I'm nowhere near getting married, starting a family. But when that time comes, I definitely don't want to be gone every single weekend. So I think for right now, me kind of being young and in Atlanta, like missing out on the weekends, it's not a huge deal working on the weekends. But that's kind of my long-term mindset is to build up my fine art that I work on during the week and get them into galleries and get established that way. And I can do that by financing my studio and this all the supplies through my wedding paintings. And I love doing the wedding paintings. It's not like that's the only reason I'm doing the wedding paintings, but it's also my mind. I'm like, okay, I want to shift into working Monday through Friday painting and then maybe do one wedding a month, one wedding every other month because I love doing them. I truly do. But I think once I do have a family, which that's, I mean, in years truly, but I, obviously I've thought about that. I don't want to be gone on the weekends all the time, but more short-term I'm trying to get into a gallery in Atlanta just to get my name out there more and then just expand my work into different series. And that's the thing I plan, but also this industry is it's sometimes something you can't plan for and you just have to make as much work as you can. And I work with my social media company. We work on planning and releases and that kind of thing, but you really shows like if I'm in an art show, those are only announced a few months ahead of time. So like I kind of have a two to three month plan, but outside of that, it's a bit loose. <laughs> sure. Okay. So we're going to play a little bit of a game. It's called bullish or bearish. So if you remember from business school, bullish means you are very positive on something. We're in a bull market. Bearish means you're mm -hmm. kind of feeling a little uneasy and we're in a bear market going downhill. So I might throw some topics or industry thoughts at you and you're just going to tell me, hey, are you bullish or bearish? And kind of your basic thoughts on why. So the first one is young female entrepreneurs. So are you bullish or bearish on the number of female entrepreneurs increasing, let's say in the next five to 10 years, there's been a lot of push for this, but statistics are showing that we've kind of stagnated a little bit and we need that extra push to get to the next level. There's some great organizations coming out to try to support that. But what are your thoughts? Definitely bullish, positive. I think the more the merrier. I mean, I obviously am, will support any female entrepreneur, but I also am not, I don't love the phrase like girl boss because I'm like, it should just be boss. Honestly, like yeah. I feel like girl boss almost like continues to segregate it and make it seem like that's not what you would automatically assume kind of thing. So that phrase in general, I'm kind of like, no, but yes, supporting female owned businesses, of course, because obviously I am one, but just, I love working with men. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to say, but it, you just have an understanding and I can relate to them sometimes a little bit more, but yeah, definitely bullish on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, there's been a lot of push for, for women to get into different industries and that's, that's slowly happening. What about in the art industry? Is it primarily female uh, oriented, especially maybe more so in the wedding space, but what about in the gallery space? bullish or bearish on female artists in the gallery space? Like just the representation right now? Yeah. I think, I, I guess I would say bearish because I wish there was more male representation because I would say it's almost 90% female. No kidding. Because, yeah, because I think 
galleries really work hand in hand with interior designers and just historically interior designers have been female. So I think that's why so many artists and galleries have been female. And also I think just still there's some weird stigma of men being artists, like they should be the breadwinners and maybe art's not a surefire way to be that breadwinner. I'm sure it has something to do with that as well. But galleries, I think their relationship with interior designers has a lot to do with it because women are are usually the ones decorating the house, hiring the designers, hiring their friends. And then those designers go to their friends who own the galleries. So, I mean, it's a kind of a chain like that, but I definitely don't think that galleries discriminate in any way against male artists. I think if anything, they're trying to get more representation. They're just truly aren't as many. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, I don't think there's any barricades to men getting into it, except just like what society standards are, honestly. Sure. Okay. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about TikTok. So yes. <laughs> I doubt I, I will be the first to admit that I downloaded TikTok last year during the pandemic. Yep. And yep. I, I haven't let it go. I still use it. So <laughs> binging on it. <laughs> yeah. There's times where I'm like, wow, it's been 20 minutes. Oh, so, mine's been like, oh, it's been two hours. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of it's fun, but there are some awesome messages on there. There's a great networking tool associated with it. It's even helped businesses promote their platform. Now that we're going back. Well, at least sort of going back into normal society, whenever that truly will happen. Mm -hmm. Are you bullish or bearish on TikTok still being a handheld platform that we use every day in, let's say, 2022? In terms of like business and art or just like in terms of like in general? Just in general. You know, it's become a pretty it's become almost inundated with our day to day now. Yeah. What about 2022? I would say bearish because... I mean, I, I do think it's a great tool to connect people. I think it's a great tool for promotion, but I think it gained so much popularity because we were all stuck inside and just had our phones. So hopefully it doesn't remain as popular. Would hope so. Cause I mean, I've even seen that my own use has gone down because I have a life again and like, yeah. I'm not just sitting inside for business purposes. I mean, I guess it's good if people are constantly on it, but also I would rather it's millennials, but it's definitely like the Gen Z that is like their whole culture almost is based off of these very quick trends. And so it's almost like setting the scene for just quick trends to happen. And me overthinking it being like, oh my God, I don't want live wedding paintings to be a quick trend. If people just get sick of things so quickly, like TikTok makes you have a very short attention span and makes you want the next new thing. And what happens when live wedding paintings have been around for five or 10 years? Like is this generation below or my generation? I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Are we going to get tired of it and want something totally new? I mean, that's me totally reading into it, but kind of the bigger picture. Yeah, I actually, there's a really cool Netflix documentary and I'm trying to remember what it was called. The Social Dilemma, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And it was about basically how our attention span in the matter of a decade or not, maybe it was even less, has gone down to, I mean, we're we're talking seconds. If we don't get instant gratification, like if you click on an email and you're like, oh my God, it took 12 seconds to load, we we get upset about it. But on the flip side, I think that's why the live wedding paintings work is because I start and finish the same night. Yes. So it's like, yes, I don't want the trend in, but I almost don't think it will because the trend itself is so instantly gratifying. And like you literally see it 
completed in one night. You see it finished before you leave the wedding, which I think that is, it's definitely because of the short attention span and instant gratification mindset. Yeah. And I, the other thing about TikTok that I'm not sure on long-term is Instagram that has reels and so much to keep up with. There's a lot out there. And it's like, if you're a content producer, you can't do it all. I, I was talking to my social media team when reels came out, they were like, we're just not going to do that. They were like, we have to really prioritize what we think works the best. It's just not that. Like for the time it takes to make a reel, I think just having consistent posting is what you need. And I was right. like, I completely agree. I'm not trying to become the next viral TikToker. Like I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last one. And this is around the wedding industry. I guess how it's changed a little bit. And mm -hmm. so last year we saw a lot of people downsize their guest lists either by choice or by force. What about going forward? Do you think that we are going to see, are you bullish or bearish on, let's say, smaller weddings, small to mid-sized weddings in 2021 going forward? Or do you think that the second the floodgates are open, people are throwing the big bash again because everyone wants to party? I am optimistic, so bullish on the wedding parties becoming large again. I mean, I had a friend get married two weeks ago, and I think there were 350 people plus Whoa. at the wedding. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just a Southeast thing, Southern thing. If weddings are bigger here, like I think they've already, the, the people I know, at least the people in my circle, it's already gone back up. But I think the overall trend, I mean, again, it's personal preference, obviously, but I do think a lot of people, I wouldn't say excuse is the right word, but to save money, you can very easily cut out that second cousin that you didn't really want to invite in the first place and just be like, we're cutting down because of COVID. Like, I think you can probably keep using that <laughs> excuse for a while and, and keeping it around 50 to 100. And, and I will say you can definitely tell a difference, but it, it's not a bad way. It, it's yeah. like, it's almost, I would say better because you have more money to do other things with if you're not spending it on 50 more people for an open bar and their food. So I think in that aspect, maybe, maybe actually stay hundred people or less because you have so many more options and so much more freedom with the money that you're saving basically and putting it elsewhere when you're, when you're not adding those extra 50 or hundred, 200 people in. Yeah. Tell me like that's, I'm sure y'all have noticed that too. Oh, definitely. I mean, our headcount is smaller this year. I wouldn't say drastic because we had such a, a travel heavy yeah. guest list anyway. We were kind of anticipating maybe like 130, 140. And now yeah. we're at about, I think we have like 105. So it's less than we anticipated, but given us a little bit of flexibility, we don't feel so strapped anymore. And so that, and there's a lot of hidden yeah. costs. I'm oh, sure. yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Like you would yeah. never even think about. Yes. Yeah. It's like every night basically we're spending, <laughs> spending time jotting down more to the budget and talking to vendors yeah. and oh yeah okay so we're gonna move on from that i want to hear your advice to young entrepreneurs looking to start a business whether it be in the field of art or anything else what exactly do you want to tell them as far as the confidence and maybe the steps that they should keep in mind when they launch their business oh for sure well so i'll start just for people wanting to pursue art or a creative career first. So basically, I mean, I do have people, younger friends, just younger people at UGA that are in the art school reach out to me who I don't necessarily know very well and just ask me what I did, advice, et cetera. Like basically what you just asked. I always say, have a backup plan. And I don't even say that in a pessimistic way. I say it because that gives you more freedom 
to explore and create in art. So like when I had my job with a steady paycheck, like I was saying earlier, I wasn't tied to this scarcity mindset, basically of like, I'm just producing to pay the bills because you're, I mean, obviously some people you can make it that way, but I think starting out, get some type of job. It doesn't necessarily have to be a corporate job, but something where you have a steady flow of income for at least a year to expand on your side business, expand on your ideas, expand on your craft, and also see if that is really what you want to do. If now that you're out of college and you're doing it maybe 40 hours a week, 40 plus hours a week, like if you're just doing it as a side gig in college, it might seem like, oh yeah, I could do this full time. But when you start doing it like every single day, you're like, wait, I don't think I love this as much as I actually did. So it's good to always have options. I mean, I do think some people should should major in art, but I think majoring in business was the best thing I could have done because in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, if my art business fails, I have a business degree from UGA, like I'm going to be okay. I have other options. Whereas if I had an art degree, I mean, it would just be a lot harder. It wouldn't necessarily mean that I was doomed, but it would obviously be a lot harder to find another job. And yeah, just to be smart about it, which I know that sounds like, yeah, duh. It's a buzzword today. Follow your passion only to your passion has to be your job, your career. Yes, I'm really lucky that I get to paint as my career and I, I do love it, but it's still a job. I have to paint things I don't like sometimes. I have to do the finances. I have to do the crappy part of it that everyone just thinks whisk around with my paintbrush drinking wine. I'm like, (laughs) no, that's, it's like, yes, painting is fun and it is something I love to do, but it just happened to be that I was good at it and like I can make it actually work. So yeah, I would just say be smart about it. And I do want to encourage entrepreneurship a hundred percent, but it's not going to pay the bills and you're end up going to be more stressed doing it than maybe do a corporate job and do a side hustle. So I don't know. I, t- I also have listened to my accountant parents for my whole life. So I'm very realistic about those kind of things. Whereas I think some of the bigger dreamers are just like, go for it. So I definitely give a bit more down to earth advice on making it work and making sure you have the money to do it before you jump into it full-time or making sure you have enough jobs lined up for it to work. But then for people and just in general entrepreneurship, I would say just to know what to expect, which is you are in charge of making your money. Like you have to be a go-getter and it's definitely a learning curve at first. Your whole life, you're just almost programmed to learn and receive and never really like take initiative. And then the moment you're in charge of your paycheck, your whole mindset changes. And it can be a lonely job sometimes, which people need to, I would just say, realize what you're getting into, not in an ominous way, but just, are you good on your own? Can you handle not having coworkers? Can you handle the stress of like not knowing exactly where the money's going to come from in six months? So I would just say, know yourself before you jump into entrepreneurship. Very sound advice. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate Almost it. like too practical. No, no. I think that the practical advice is probably what most entrepreneurs need to hear before they jump into this. So I will leave all of Carolyn's Instagram website, all of her social media in the description if you want to learn more about her. But otherwise, thank you so much for coming on. And I will see you in about three and a half weeks. That's what I was going to say. It's under a month now. But yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes.
This was another great interview right here on the Business of Business Finance Fundamentals interview series. I really hope you enjoyed the wedding series. As somebody who is not incredibly artistic, Caroline is incredibly impressive to watch, and seeing it in action has completely changed my perception, even more so than before. Check out her TikTok, check out her Instagram, look at her website, and if you know somebody in the market for a product or a service like this, contact Caroline if you are based in the Southeast. I really enjoyed talking to her, and she is super down to earth. This is the last of the wedding series. I will be back from my honeymoon shortly, and will be posting more episodes to come. But in the meantime, please send me your thoughts and feedback. Together, we'll own that road to financial freedom. And I'm really glad you're joining me for it. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree. I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me, produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoy them.